This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Today on Saturday Morning Breakfast, we are talking about uh, interviews. How do you get them? What do you do when you've got one? And what do you do in the aftermath of one? This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Happy New Year! Today is February the 10th, 2024, and we are going into the um, Year of the Dragon. So, this is a very, very exciting time for those who celebrate the Lunar New Year, those who um, those who follow the lunar calendar, those who are going into the new year, because the year of the dragon is considered to be one of the most auspicious um, of the years. Now, I'm not going to lie, for me, 2024 um, has not been great thus far. I have this thing about even-numbered years. I don't know if I've ever um, if I've ever shared this with anybody, but for me, it seems to be that even-numbered years are never good luck. Um, I remember 2000 and what would it have been? 2002 was probably one of the very worst years of my life to date. Um, 2020 was not great for anybody, let's be honest. Uh, And then we are in 2024, where I must say, you know, touch wood, nothing actually awfully terrible has happened yet. Um, It just has not been a particularly standout year either. But hopefully, as we move now into the Lunar New Year, that has all changed and um, we will find ourselves coming in with some good luck. So the Chinese believe that um, what you do at the beginning of the year will affect your luck as the year goes through. So hopefully, many of you stayed up Um, last night on Chinese New Year's Eve uh, and wished your family and friends good luck as the clock struck midnight because that is supposed to bring good luck into your year. Hopefully you have given out or been given a red packet um, or a red envelope. The the translation depends on where exactly in Asia you are. Um, Quite often they contain money. And so this is very much one of the favorite times of year for Chinese children, because their red packet will contain lots of money, depending on um, who is giving it to them and and how many they get, because lots of very lucky children get red packets from just about every adult they know. Uh, and they will then use that as kind of their, their spending money, I suppose, for the year. I was very lucky this week because I was given a red packet by one of my Chinese children. 
um, did not contain real money. She put some chocolate coins in there, which um, to me was even more thoughtful. So I, I did really appreciate that. We like the red packets. Um, then there are the the symbols of good luck. So hopefully you have all decorated your house with kumquat trees because the kumquat symbolizes wealth and good luck as we go into the year. Um, lots of kind of lots of members of the orange family. I think is what I want to say. I use the symbols of good luck at this time of year because in many Asian languages, the word for an orange fruit, be it a kumquat or an orange or a tangerine or whatever, is a rhyme for the word for good luck or wealth. And a lot of superstitions and a lot of ceremonies in many Asian cultures come from the fact that words rhyme, uh, that words have multiple meanings. And there's a lot in, in Asian folklore and Asian religion kind of around that. Um, hopefully you are wearing your lucky color. If you were born in the year of the dragon, then your lucky color is going to be yellow or red, but hopefully you are wearing red anyway, because the Nian is this, um, this dragon type creature that lives up in the mountains and it comes down every new year to feast. Uh, but it's scared of the colour red, so you should wear red in order to make sure that you are not eaten by a nian. And it's also scared of loud noises, which is why it's always a good idea to set off fireworks as we go across New Year. There are some lucky foods that you can eat, so if you are a fan of Chinese food, I hope that you will be indulging in some lucky foods today. Um, Lucky foods include rice dumplings, which represent the coming together of a family, um, flour-coated peanuts, uh, which are then deep fried, and they represent vitality, uh, walnut biscuits, uh, because they represent happiness. So all sorts of delicious food can bring you good luck as we move into the Lunar New Year. The dragon, of course, is the fifth animal sign in the Chinese zodiac. So you are a dragon if you are born this year. Uh, so if you are planning to have a child between now and next February, that child will be a dragon. Um, if you were born in 2012, welcome. I'm not sure why you are listening to a radio show about teachers if you were born in 2012, but that's okay. You are always welcome here on the show. Uh, if you were born in 2000, 1988, 1976, 1964, or 1952, then your zodiac sign is that of the dragon. Now it does then get a little bit more complicated because depending on exactly which year you were born, you will be a different type of dragon corresponding to one of the five classical Chinese elements, wood, water, gold, earth, and fire. So all of those, I apologize if you heard my WhatsApp going off just then, um, so yeah, each of those uh, then comes with its own um, set of characteristics. But generally, if you were born in the year of the dragon, you are considered to be um, majestic and powerful. You are considered to have a kind of innate sense of what is right, an innate sense of your own rightness, 
I suppose is the best way to translate that. Um, and a, a loyalty. You have a loyalty um, to those around you. You are also the luckiest sign in the Chinese zodiac. So do make sure that you are um, that you are profiting from that. If you are a dragon, then your lucky numbers are one, six, and seven. Your lucky colors are gold, silver, and a color that's really hard to translate into English. Um, I think it's gray, but then I don't have a great sense of like different subtle shades of color. It's kind of a whitey gray. Um, your lucky flowers are the bleeding heart and, of course, the dragon flower. Uh, your lucky directions are east, north, and south. And your lucky months are the third, fourth, and seventh months of the Chinese lunar calendar. You should avoid blue and green. They are your unlucky colours. You should avoid three and eight. They are your unlucky numbers. Your unlucky direction is northwest, and your unlucky months are the fifth and sixth months in the Chinese New Year calendar. You should attempt to be friends or have romantic relationships with people born in the year of the rat, the year of the monkey, and the year of the rooster. They are your biggest compatibility, and people born in the year of the dog are your lowest compatibility. So that's kind of where we are with the dragons. Some famous dragons are Charles Darwin. He was an earth dragon, February the 12th, 1809. Bruce Lee, uh, he was a gold dragon, November 27th, 1940. John Lennon, also a gold dragon, October 9th, 1940. And Vladimir Putin, a water dragon, born October 7th, 1952. So because the dragon was considered to be the representative of the emperor, there was a, a law in ancient China that any depictions of the dragon had to be um, commissioned by the emperor and had to be designed in a very certain way. Otherwise, you would be beheaded for drawing the dragon. So it was very much related to imperial power, related to who was in charge of China at the time. And we can kind of unpick that, or the Chinese believe that we can unpick that in order to figure out what is going to be your, your forecast for the year. So in general, for everybody, not just those born in the year of the dragon, but for all of us living through 2024, hopefully living through 2024, um, it is forecast to bring about opportunity, change, and challenge. And if you're seeking a, a change to your current life, then this year might give you a good chance to do that. Which ties in quite nicely. Oh, it's almost like I planned it. It ties in quite nicely to my topic today, because we are going to be talking about interviewing. Um, I have covertly, um, I've not actually told anybody, apart from my school, my school knows. So just so that we're clear about this, I am not, um, I am not doing this secretly. Um, but I've not told anybody in my personal life that I have been interviewing for jobs this week. And so kind of this idea of change, 
this idea of what is coming up, what is coming next, is a big one, of course, not just for our Year of the Dragon people, but for many of us in general, as we head towards the time when lots of teaching jobs are being advertised, lots of teaching jobs are becoming available, and many of us are thinking about what our next move might be. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The mother of murdered schoolgirl Brianna Jai has spoken about the need for positive change and a lasting legacy for her daughter. Mrs Jai visited Westminster as part of her campaign for mindfulness to be taught in all schools in England. She commented on her Peace and Mind UK Facebook page that her focus would be to improve lives by empowering people, giving them the tools to build mental resilience, empathy and self-compassion through mindfulness. She went on to say that she hoped to create more understanding for everyone. Mrs Jai has already raised thousands of pounds to deliver mindfulness training in schools in her local area. The Department for Education has said there were no plans to introduce mindfulness, but the RSHE curriculum included a strong focus on mental health and that all schools had been offered grants to train a senior mental health lead by 2025. Mrs Jai has also spoken about the idea for a phone for under 16s to limit access to social media apps. The Children's Commissioner, Dame Rachel D'Souza, told the BBC that she supported the ideas and said more could be done to promote phones that are safe by design. She described Mrs Jai's vision as really smart, but questioned whether the likes of Google and Apple would create phones with access that is safe by design. PM Rishi Sunak has stated that the new Online Safety Act is robust, but parents told the BBC how difficult it is to take away a smartphone from a child who already has one, whilst others described the pressure from social media as relentless. In Wales, the cap on university tuition fees is rising from £9,000 to £9,250 a year from September. Education Minister Jeremy Miles says he recognises students will be disappointed. 
A report on the BBC News website says loans will also go up to cover the 2.8% increase, which will affect undergraduate students studying in Wales whose home address is in Wales. Those with a home address in Wales but who study in other parts of the UK are unaffected because they already pay the £9,250 for their studies. Mr Miles blames sustained inflationary pressure on high education providers in Wales and that the increase was unavoidable, but would help to safeguard provision and investment. The Guardian reported on school finances with an article on findings that almost half of multi-academy trusts in England were in deficit last year. The report by the accountancy network Creston UK was based on studying the accounts of 279 trusts representing over 2,300 schools. It found 47% were running in-year deficits. Rising energy bills and staffing costs were blamed by many and made worse by uncertainty around income streams. School leaders say that schools are constantly asked to do more with less. Last October, the Department for Education in England admitted to making a £370 million error, meaning mainstream primary and secondary schools will be given at least £50 less for each pupil than original forecasting predicted. This forced school leaders to redraw their budgets for 2024 to 25. With energy costs still high and a recruitment and retention crisis leading to an increased use of agency staff, mean that many school leaders are facing further pressure on budgets and many expect a deficit trend to continue. More than 100 school buildings containing dangerous concrete will be rebuilt or refurbished, according to a report on the BBC. The government says all affected schools will receive funding to permanently remove the dangerous concrete known as RAC. Unions say the announcement includes no new money. The 234 schools affected in England have reportedly returned to face-to-face -face learning, but many children are still being taught in marquees, portable classrooms or in other off-site locations. Some pupils have not been able to access specialist classrooms for design and technology, as well as science labs and other specialist spaces. The government has been criticised for not making changes to exams for those affected. Finally, a jury in the United States of America has held the mother of a 15-year-old mass shooter criminally responsible for the death of four high school students in 2021. The 15-year-old himself was sentenced to life without parole in December. But at the start of February, the male's mother was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. The first time a parent has been convicted of such charges due to their child's role in a mass shooting. The case has raised questions about the accountability of parents. Although the youth's parents had gifted him the weapon days before the attack. Prosecutors also argued that parents had not paid enough attention to their son's declining mental health. US law generally only holds individuals responsible for their own actions, but this case appears to present some change. The schools where the shooting took place has also faced criticism for not acting swiftly when drawings of guns were found on the mail earlier in the day of the shooting. Whatever the outcome of the sentencing, the case appears to be reinvigorating debate around the issue of parental responsibility, alongside individual culpability. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
One of the selling points of the idea of introducing VAT to private schools um, and putting it onto private school fees is that there will then be more money generated for state schools. Uh, you know, and this idea that um, the amount of money per pupil that a state school receives will be able to go up because there will be more uh, tax money coming in. My concern, um, and you know, I'm going to lay my cards out on the table. I do teach currently in an, in an independent school, and so I would be affected by this. Um, though I went to a state school, I worked in state schools before I moved to my current school. Um, so I do have experience in, in both sectors, as a teacher at least. Um, my concern is actually, will that money reach state schools? Or will we have yet another budgeting error that will leave schools worse off? Um, you know, Joe there reported on this idea of there being a £50 per pupil deficit for state schools. And, you know, £50 might not sound like a lot of money, but for a school, £50 on its own is quite a lot of money. Imagine the number of glue sticks you can get for £50. Um, but when you then multiply that by however many hundreds of children there might be in a school, that's a salary of somebody. That is an entire subject's budget gone. And so I think that we do have to be very careful that schools do need more funding. All schools need more funding. And again, I understand that there is a cost of living crisis still going on. I understand that the economy is, is not great right now. Um, and as a millennial, um, I understand that that is always the case because it seems to be that ever since I entered the workforce uh, back in 2007 and um, uh, kind of became aware of why money was important, there has been some kind of economic crisis. So I understand that this always, always happens. However, we do have to think about how money is being handled and whether this money is going into the right places. Because what I would hate would be for so many independent schools that are going to have to close if VAT is put onto them um, to close, thus sending those pupils off into state schools, which is fine. And again, a lot of people are saying, well, that means that the state schools will get more money because they will have more pupils. Um, which again is not necessarily the case because that means that that private school has closed and so that VAT revenue is not coming in. Um, but I would hate for those children to actually then not benefit at all from anything because the money that their new school was supposed to be given has been mishandled. I think there are big issues around money in education. Um, and I think a lot of it, as I've talked about on the show before, is because there is actually no model for educational leadership. What happens certainly in England is that we have got a model for business leadership that has then been placed on top of education. Um, and it's not a good fit. And I think that we need some kind of change so that money in education is handled more appropriately so that it goes into doing what is best for our young people. Anyway, that's my little soapbox on that. I wasn't even going to comment on that. Um, when I heard Joe's news earlier in the week um, and I knew that um, 
that that piece was coming. I thought, I'm not going to talk about VAT. I'm not going to talk about it. But uh, but I clearly can't help myself. Um, what I am going to talk about, though, and what the plan for this week's show is, is to talk about interviews. So it is February half term. Happy half term to everybody. We made it. We made it. That did seem to be a very long, short half term. Um, and this is the time when uh, jobs start to be advertised. This is the time when teachers start looking. Those of us that have to give a full terms notice um, will be trying to secure something for September if we're looking to move on. Um, those who give a half terms notice, you might be looking anyway because a lot of the kind of career advancement jobs are coming up now. You know, head teachers who give a terms notice, they um, uh, those jobs will be coming up. Uh, senior leadership jobs, because senior leaders quite often give a whole terms notice, those jobs will be coming up. So many of us will be looking. And of course, even those of us who are not... Um, uh, who are not veterans in the career yet, those of us who are just about to qualify in a few months' time, those of us who are ECTs, perhaps looking for a different school for the second year of our placement, those of us who have maybe just finished our ECT, we've done our two years and are now looking at another school to move on to, lots of people are going to be looking. And there are lots of jobs out there. So I kind of want to talk about that. And until this week, I wasn't really in a position to, um, because the last real interview I had was 13 years ago. I've been in my current school for 30, uh, sorry, 12, 12 years I've been in my current school. And so, you know, I haven't really been qualified to talk about interviews because I don't really know what they look like anymore. Um, I've interviewed for other things, for non-teaching things, for um, the textbooks that I've written, for the resources that I've written, but all of that's slightly different. It's been a long time since I've interviewed for an educational position. Uh, but that changed this week, uh, quite unexpectedly, if I'm honest. I wasn't planning on applying for jobs this week um, at all. So I, I had been at university, I was at university last weekend. Uh, which is why there was no show last Saturday morning. I was sitting in my stats lecture, learning all about statistics and breaking my brain. And that was, you know, that was really interesting. Then Sunday, I had a lecture from a lady who was incredibly inspirational. Um, she is a professor at Reading, where I'm doing my, my doctorate in education. And her career path is oddly similar to mine. She started in primary, like I did. She moved into secondary MFL, like I did. Um, she then went off and became a head teacher, which is is not something I would be good at at all. So you know, I've crossed that off of my my how to copy Naomi's career path pathway. Um, she has done research in the states, and I have very close ties to the USA. She has been involved in CPD and teacher training, which is in fact the next big career move that I would like to make. And so I, I kind of sat through her lecture on Sunday afternoon and thought a lot about what my career was looking like, 
what my impact was, just all sorts of things. And I came home on Sunday, kind of buzzing with good ideas, buzzing with things that I wanted to do. And I then went into to my school on Monday, still buzzing with all of my good ideas. Um, and I kind of taught my lessons. And I came home um, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to I'm just going to look. I'm just going to see what the landscape of education actually is, because I have sat through my university weekend. I've had all of these great ideas. Let's just see kind of what there is out there. Let's just see what exists that is going to match or that, that does match my values, my interests and what I want to do. Like how feasible are all of these ideas that I'm buzzing with in the current educational landscape? Because I don't want to waste my time, you know? I don't want to try and make change. I don't want to try and improve something if there is no real scope for it. Um, so I did. I jumped on TES, um, I jumped on eTeach, I jumped on Indeed, actually. Um, other job searching platforms are available. I am just recounting from my own experience. Um, and I had a look and I saw what was out there and there is a lot. There is a lot. When they talk about teacher shortages, they are not lying. And, and that was a little bit overwhelming, to be honest kind of going through all of the jobs that were out there, even when I narrowed them down to things that I can teach, you know, subjects that I have degrees in, um, subjects that I have trained in, um, even down to the subjects that I've got A-levels in, so I might be able to teach to, you know, Key Stage 3 GCSE. Um, there's a lot. And, and that concerned me. Because if we are beginning to lose our teachers in the numbers that we are always being told, but that don't actually mean anything until you see how many jobs there are out there, then actually how many teachers are going to be left to educate our young people? But anyway, that's, um, that's a topic that many shows have been uh been done on that's a topic that many uh many hosts have talked about so i don't need to do that one however i thought well do you know what i i'm i'm looking i know that these jobs are out there there are a few that i'm looking at that seem quite interesting let's see what happens if i apply for them because i am top of the pay scale you know, I'm almost 20 years, I have almost 20 years of experience. Um, I have a master's degree in education. I'm studying for a doctorate in education. I've got advanced degrees in um, almost all of the subjects that I offer to teach. So I am on paper actually a, an awful candidate because I'm so expensive. And so I was interested to see just whether I would get any interviews. So I applied for, for a few. Um, I emailed my school to let them know. I emailed my, my head teacher and said, you know, just as a courtesy to let you know, I am applying for these jobs. And so you might get a request for a reference. Now, 
whether or not you let people know that you are applying for jobs is entirely up to you. Um, lots of places will ask if it's okay for them to contact your references uh, either before or after your interview. And in fact, one of the places that I applied for, I'll talk about this in a bit more detail when I, when I talk about that interview, um, they asked me in the interview if it was okay for them to approach my referees. So it's, it's not compulsory to let people know that you are looking, that you are applying. And I know that some people find that they can't do that. Some people feel that they have to keep that kind of under the radar. Um, some people don't want to. Uh, some people get embarrassed if they have applied for a job, they go to an interview and then they, they then don't get the job. Um, and that's completely okay. Some people who may feel that their workspace is toxic for them may not want to say that they are applying for other things because they may fear some kind of pushback, um, some kind of retaliation. And that's also okay. I am very lucky that in my uh, in my context, in my school, we are encouraged to do what is best for our careers. We are encouraged to, um, to, to do what is best for our lives. And so I felt very comfortable and I, I kind of felt like I owed it to the school, not in a negative way, but just because they have been so supportive of, of many of the things that I've wanted to do. Um, I felt completely okay emailing my, my head teacher and saying, look, just so as you know, um, I've got, uh, I've applied for these jobs. It may be that nothing comes of them, but I'm letting you know in advance. Um, and I copied my line manager and my second head of department into those emails again, because I have good relationships with those people. Um, and if nothing else, I thought I owed it, I, I wanted um, to tell them because they were my professional friends. So they would, they would get it. So, so I did tell people and I applied. I sent off a few applications. I sent off five or six applications on Monday evening. By half past nine, Tuesday morning, I had had one invite to interview. And then by half past 11, Tuesday morning, I'd had a second invite to interview. So all of a sudden, I had gone from, oh, I'm just going to look and see what is out there because, you know, I'm interested in making change. I'm interested in, um, you know, figuring out my values as a teacher. So let's just see what there is through to, oh, okay, now I actually have job interviews. And I'm not going to lie, I did find that very overwhelming because I hadn't prepared for it. Um, I hadn't been prepared for it. Um, I honestly, like I said, I thought I was going to be too expensive. And so I hadn't I kind of assumed that I just wouldn't hear back from any of these places. And now all of a sudden, uh, about 12 hours after I had submitted the applications, two of them had come back to me. So I was like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. You know, things move quickly. We're used to things moving quickly. That's the kind of world that we live in. Um, let's see what happens. So I responded. Um, and I said, yes, thank you. That would be great. Um, let me know what time you have available for the interviews and, and we'll make that happen. Um, and I heard back from them within 
the, the Tuesday, within the working day on Tuesday. So now I'm starting to think, oh, okay, clearly, because there are so many jobs available, actually, it's a seller's market. I have got my skill set that I am selling, and these places are quite interested in having me, and so they want to, to kind of get through this process as quickly as possible. I had, by the end of school on Tuesday, booked interviews for Wednesday and Thursday. So within about 36 hours of my initial applications, I had actually had an interview for one of the jobs, which was incredible to me, like how fast that was moving. And again, I was finding it very overwhelming because, you know, this was happening at the same time as I just come back from uni. So I was, um, I, I was kind of processing all of that information, all of that learning, thinking about the assignments that I've got to turn in. We had our year 11 French speaking mocks this week. So I was preparing for those. Um, we've got the rest of our mocks the first week back after half term. So I was making sure that my class was ready, making sure that they had what they needed for revision. And then kind of this was happening on top. So, you know, it was a lot. It was a lot. And I think that is something to be aware of, that these things can happen very quickly, that you may think that you are self-rejecting. You may think that you are applying for a job that you are overqualified for or indeed underqualified for, don't have enough experience for. But unless the advert specifically says, you know, this post is not suitable for ECTs, this post is not suitable for people at the top of the pay scale, whatever, you've got just as much a chance as anybody else. So I had kind of mentally self-rejected by thinking, oh, I'm I'm too expensive, I'm not going to get them, it's going to be fine. And actually by doing that, I had um, kind of screwed myself over a little bit because I had not kind of thought through exactly what this process was going to be like. So Wednesday, I had an interview. Um, now, my Wednesday this week in the timetable is quite nice because I'm free periods one and two, and I then teach through the rest of the day. My interview, of course, was over periods three and four. So I did, I did actually feel a little bit bad. Uh, about that, because I thought it was typical that I had two free periods when this interview could have taken place, and I could have been done by break time, and I could have then gone in and taught my period three, taught my period four. But no, they, they did actually have to take place over my lessons. And then I thought, well, actually, <laughs> why do I feel badly about this? If I were in an office job, then I wouldn't feel like I should be going in to do my job instead of going into an interview. I shouldn't be feeling that my interviews uh, ought to be done in my free time, because that was the other thing I thought to myself. I thought, oh, well, next week's half term, so maybe next week at the earliest I will interview, and then, you know, I won't have to miss any school. And even kind of saying it out loud right now, 
is really driving home how ridiculous that is. This idea that I feel bad about missing work in order to interview for another job. So keep in mind, it is okay not to go to school in order to go to an interview. Do as I say and not as I do. Because I did in fact go to school. I couldn't, I, I couldn't um, silence that little voice that was telling me that I was a better teacher if I were in school before my interview. And presenteeism, which is exactly what I was doing, I was turning up so that I could be seen to be turning up, not because I had anything functional to do, but just so that I was physically there. Presenteeism is a big issue in teaching, and I think this is a show that I need to do. So other hosts, if you're listening, please don't steal my idea. This is mine. Um, because again, this is exactly what I was doing on Wednesday. I turned up to school. And I went and I saw the teacher who was covering for me and I gave them the work and I explained it and I was just like, I'll have my email open during my interview if you need to get in touch with me. But why would they? I had set the work. I had made it for a non-specialist French teacher and in the end it was actually a French teacher that was covering. There was literally no reason why that person should need to get hold of me. And yet I felt that need to offer. So remember when you are applying that there will be a little bit of extra emotional labor involved. Either the extra labor that is involved with prepping your cover lesson, going in and seeing the cover teacher apparently if you're anything like me, or the emotional labor of suppressing that idea and not doing that. Um, so that you can make sure that you are focused on your interview. But anyway, I came home uh, to do the interview. It was an online interview. It was, in fact, Wednesday was a phone interview. Um, and that's really important. It wasn't a video call. Um, apparently, the video call comes in the next stage of interview. So I'm going through stages with this job. Um, it, it was just on the phone. Uh, and yet, I was in school clothes. Shirt, tie, jumper, trousers, you know. I could have worn a hoodie and a pair of jeans, because nobody was going to see me. It was on the phone. And yet I didn't. I dressed up as if I were going to a physical interview. And I found that really interesting, because I kind of didn't realise that I'd done it until afterwards. And I thought, well, actually, a lot of this is about the performativity of teaching, isn't it? A lot of this is about the costuming. I've spoken before. In fact, I've done a whole show um, back, I think it was last year, on the construction of teacher identity and kind of what it means to be a teacher and the performativity of teaching. Do go back and, and have a look through the archives if you've not listened to that one, because I found it very interesting to research that. But that was kind of exactly what I was doing. I was performing being a teacher um, on the phone, and so I wore my costume. And that probably is actually a good tip that I would give to people. If you are, obviously, if you're having an in-person interview, if you are in a school to interview, 
then obviously wear your school clothes. But even if it is an online interview, if it's an on the phone interview, it probably is a good idea to still wear your professional dress, not just to make a good impression to the interviewer, but also to put you in the correct mindset for what you are about to do. So I have my phone interview. And it was very straightforward, probably the most straightforward interview I've ever had. It was very much just a question and answer session. And I was thinking about this afterwards, about why it was so straightforward, about why it was less stressful than any of the um, teaching interviews I've done before. And I think it's because I am much more assured in myself as a teacher now. I feel so much more confident as a teacher now. So I could go into this interview thinking, yes, I know what I'm doing. For every interview that I had very early in my career, I went into the schools thinking, these people know better than I do. You know, I'm an NQT, as it was back then or I'm just out of primary interviewing to go into secondary. And so all of these schools, all of these professionals, they know better than me. And so I kind of negatively positioned myself going into those interviews. Whereas with the one on Wednesday, I could positively position myself because I realized that again, almost 20 years into my career, I do know what I'm talking about. I host a show every Saturday morning. Well, most Saturday mornings when I'm not teaching, I host a show about teaching. I have written textbooks. I have written resources. I have led CPD. You know, I've spoken at shows. I, I go to university. I'm doing my doctorate. All of that stuff. It kind of merges together again into your professional identity. And I think I shocked myself a little bit about how assured I was going into the interview because I was confident in my identity as a teacher. And so, again, that's another huge piece of advice that I would give to anybody going into an interview is be confident. Don't be cocky. But be confident. Understand that you do not know. Yeah, sorry. No, that sounded like I said, you do not know, but I didn't. I just tripped over my words. You do know what you are doing. You do know what you are talking about. If you are just qualifying, remember that you wouldn't pass your placement. You wouldn't pass your assignments. You wouldn't get your PGCE, your B.Ed., you know, whatever route you're taking, if you didn't know what you were doing. The university doesn't pass you for the sake of passing you. It passes you because you've met the criteria. If you are very expensive, like I am, like I'm sure many of you listening are, because actually it's quite easy in education to become very expensive because we move quite quickly through the pay scale and then stop. Remember that you're expensive because you know what you're doing. The reason that we are on top of the pay scale is because we have the experience that put us there, which means we know what we're doing. So be confident in yourself as a teacher. Know what your values are as a teacher. And walk into the interview understanding that if your values do not align with the values of the school, 
then you don't have to take the job. The exodus of teachers, the, 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 the crisis that we have in recruiting teachers is always framed as a negative because it is scary. Because it does mean that class sizes will increase, etc., etc., etc. But it does also mean that for those of us still in teaching, for those of us who are applying for jobs, we have a certain position of power. This is not like when I graduated. I graduated into a financial crisis when nobody was leaving their job. There were no jobs to go into. I lucked into my first job because my final placement school needed a French teacher. It's not like that now. Okay, it is the seller's market. We are selling our time, we are selling our expertise. And so if you don't gel with the school that you are interviewing in, you don't have to accept the job. You don't even really have to finish the interview. It's, it's probably quite polite, uh, impolite to, to walk out of an interview. It's polite to stay and finish it off. But if you realize partway through the interview that it's not the school for you, you don't need to take it, even if you're offered it, particularly if you have other things lined up. And I think, even though, again, I was still feeling quite overwhelmed about how quickly the process this week happened, I knew that I had another interview on Thursday. I also knew that I had a job that I'm very happy in, that I actually don't need to leave and have no real intention of leaving. And so because I didn't need this job, I was in a bit of a position of power. I was able to, through this interview, obviously sell myself, talk about what my, my strengths are. But I was also able to be very honest and talk about my weaknesses, talk about the training that I would like to receive in order to perform the job properly. And in many ways, I feel like that made me a better candidate because I was honest. Everybody goes into an interview overhyping what they can do, overhyping themselves, either deliberately because they really want the job. And so you say, yes, I can do X, Y and Z. Uh, which you've never done before, and you've got no idea if you can do it, but you probably could if you tried. Or you go in and you say, oh yeah, absolutely, I can speak Swahili, I will teach your Swahili GCSE, and then you pray that you can do an upskilling course over the, uh, over the summer. But I didn't need to do that. And I think that makes me stand out as a candidate because lots of people do that. And it is, again, I'm somebody who has also been on the other side of the table. You know, I have interviewed people um, and it's very easy to tell when somebody is either over-exaggerating or not entirely sure whether they are answering the question um, honestly. And that always kind of, again, reframes you. It repositions you into, um, you know, can you be trusted? Are you actually telling the truth? So I think the fact that I could go in and I could be very honest about what I was looking for, about what I wanted, um, about what I planned for this job to give me, I think that positioned me as a good candidate. I also think it helped that I knew what I wanted, which again, in interviews before, I haven't really known. I just wanted a job. 
it was very much a case of, you know, it's 2007, I'm graduating into the financial crisis, I probably should take a job that I'm offered. Or I have just left my school. Um, it's 2012. People are still not really sure about moving on. Let's apply for some jobs and see what happens. Whereas I was able to go into Wednesday and then also into Thursday was it with a clear plan because I had kind of thought over the weekend while I was at uni about what I want my career to look like. I was able to go in and tell the person interviewing me, I need this, this, this and this in order to get what I want. I think that your school is a good match for that, is a good way for me to be able to get these things. Do you agree? And if you don't agree, then let's not waste our time. And again, because it was, this one was a phone interview, um, I kind of felt like I was able to do that. I was able to say, look, I don't want to waste our time. Let's just check that our values align before we go any further. And I then, I did that as well with my Thursday interview. Now, my Thursday interview was an online interview uh, via Zoom which again is becoming more and more common, I feel. Um, it was for an online teaching job. So an online interview kind of made sense. And this was interesting because the interviewer flipped the, the script a little bit because she started by asking me if I had any questions. Uh, and I wasn't expecting that because that always comes at the end of the interview. But my Thursday interviewer started with that. Um, but actually, it was perfect because, again, I knew what I was looking for when I was going into this interview. Um, so I did feel a little bit bad and I made a joke afterwards because I felt like I was interviewing her. But when she asked me if I had any questions, I said, I'm looking to make sure that these places that I'm interviewing with align with my values. If you could give me an elevator pitch of the values of your school, what would that be? And and she very succinctly in, in one sentence summed up the values of the school, uh, which helped me decide that, yes, I would push ahead with the interview um, and I would I would go through the interview as if I wanted the job because I knew that if I were offered it and if I chose to take it, then my values aligned and that's what I'm looking for. That's what's important. So I'm actually very grateful that she kind of flipped it that way around. The Thursday interview was one that I was a little bit more nervous about. The Wednesday interview had the job had intrigued me because it was kind of open they were they were looking for teachers and so i applied and i explained all the stuff again i feel like i can teach and part of the interview was talking about what they might need me for how i might be able to expand their languages provision it was all really really exciting my interview on thursday was for specialist provision teaching um, so it, it was for an EAL teaching job for predominantly refugee children, um, but also for children who were not in mainstream education for whatever reason, which is not a type of job that I've interviewed before. before. All of my jobs have just been for straightforward mainstream schools. I've never worked in an alternative provision before. Um, and again, that was one of the reasons that I wanted to interview 
almost as a fact-finding mission, almost as a, you know, what, what do these alternative provision places offer? And I felt morally like I could do that, like I could make these applications as a fact-finding mission because I would accept the job. It's not like I, I was just going in and wasting the interviewer's time just to learn about them, and then I knew that I was going to turn them down. You know, I was actually interested in the job that I was applying for. I was just kind of ticking lots of boxes all at once. And and this one was interesting because, of course, I had been expecting to teach because uh, it was an online interview for an online school. So I had kind of assumed that they would line somebody up for me to do a lesson with. Um, but they didn't. What the interviewer did was pre present me with a whole bunch of different scenarios. If this happened, then what would you do? If you were to have this child who was presenting with this difficulty, then what would you do? And I find that really interesting because the scenarios I was given were very vague. And my interviewer said, you know, I am deliberately gonna keep these vague, but she didn't tell me why. So when I was given these scenarios, you know, you obviously have to run them very quickly in your heads. Like, what would I do if this happened at this time? And in some cases, I needed more information. Uh, and so I asked for it. You know, there was one scenario she gave me where it was the child came, um, was a new refugee into the UK, had no English whatsoever, um, did have a third-party adult with them who only spoke English. Um, it was your first lesson with them. It was their first lesson in the UK um, context. What would you do? How would you, um, how would you build a rapport with that child? And for me, that was incredibly vague. So, of course, me being me, my first question was, well, what languages does this child speak? Because I've got nine, so if you've got one in common, boom, we're all right. And so I think if you are presented with a scenario in an interview and you need more information, ask for it. Because sometimes interviewers will deliberately not give you all the information that you need to see whether you will ask or to see whether you are just bluffing your way through. If you're going to an interview in a school, if you don't get any SEN information sent to you, then email back and ask for some. They're obviously not going to send you the names of the SEN children and, and any diagnoses they have, any um, healthcare plans they have, anything like that. But you should know if anybody in that class that you are teaching has dyslexia, um, speaks English as an additional language, um, is prone to running away, you know, anything like that you should know about in order to teach your lesson properly. So think about if this were my actual class, what would I need to know? And then ask for that information. Because that's actually better than trying to go in blind. And honestly, if you are interviewing at a school that thinks you can deliver a lesson without that information, without that context, then that may not be a school that you want to work in. Because you may not get all of the information you need when you are working there in order to do your job properly. So always ask questions if you need to.
If you feel like you don't need any contextual information, if you feel like your teaching is such that just by going in and teaching, you can cover all uh, range of special educational needs, fantastic. Please do train me because I would love to know how you do that. But ask for any information that you need. So I find that really interesting. Um, lots of these scenarios that I was given. And um, of course, because of the nature of that job, there were a lot of safeguarding questions that I was asked. What would you do if a child made a disclosure to you? What would you do if a child came in and um, was completely non-engaging? You know, there were all kinds of really interesting um, uh, scenarios that were put to me. And I am lucky because, again, almost 20 years in, I've got experience to be able to answer those questions. I could turn around and say, oh, well, actually, I've taught a child who has a very similar profile to that or who had a very similar profile to that. And so this is what I did. And I was able to draw on what I've done. And I understand that if you're an ECT, or if you are just about to qualify in the next few months, and you're starting to interview, you don't have those experiences. But you do have some. You have your placement classes. You have any classes you've already taught. Maybe if you are a mature student, if you're um, on a career change, you have your own children. There are always going to be things that you can relate back to. Even if you personally have not taught a scenario like the one you're being presented in, maybe you've observed one. Maybe you've read about one in one of your textbooks. And all of that is completely okay. All of that is completely fine to use as an example. So you can say, oh, well, I personally have never been in a situation like this. But in um, a case study by author X and author Y that I read at university, they suggested doing this, this and this. And I think that's a really good idea. So I think that that's what I would do. Because being honest like that, and saying, well, actually, I've got no real experience, so I don't know, but this is what I think, is better than going in overconfidently and saying, oh, I would absolutely do X, Y, and Z, but saying that you were going to do the wrong things, saying that you were going to handle it in a way that is not, um, that is not what the interviewer is looking for. So again, I guess for me, honesty is a big thing in interviewing. And again, I, I can do that because I'm coming from this privileged position of not really needing any of these jobs that I've interviewed for because I've got a job. And I understand that when you are in a place where actually it's very important for you to, to take the job that you are interviewing for, you are more likely to kind of bend your answers to what you think the interview wants to hear. And it's a bit like when we've got kids sitting in front of us and we ask them a question and they tell us what they think they want us to hear. It's that same uh, what that they think we want to hear. I'm sorry. It's that same pressure. It's that same um, 
I want to make sure that I do the right thing, that same mentality. So do just keep that in mind. So during these interviews, it was it was lovely. Um, the lady and I, we had uh, a nice chat. She gave me all of these different scenarios. She um, asked me lots of questions about safeguarding, about prevent duty. Um, she asked me what I wanted in terms of my training. And because I had been through the website of the online school and I had seen kind of what their student profile is and I had seen um, the curriculum that they offer, I was able to say, well, in your school, I see that your priorities are X, Y, and Z. I'm particularly interested in Y because, so maybe I could get on board and do some training in that. And so because I had prepared for the interview, because I had taken my time to go through, to look up the website, you know, to know what those schools' priorities were, and then figure out where their priorities aligned with mine, I was able to answer that question, what training would you like to receive, without kind of turning around and saying, oh no, it's fine, I don't need any training, I'm amazing, which is not um, an answer that they would have accepted. I was able to do it without um, kind of underselling myself and saying, oh, well, I think I need training in everything. But I was able to kind of align it again with what I was looking for, with my values. And there is part of me that was saying, oh, you should show that you are interested in everything this school has to offer. And you should ask for training in absolutely everything. Because, you know, a good teacher is well-rounded and knows everything about everything. But then I thought, well, actually, again, maybe I should just be honest and not say, oh, I'm not interested in X and Z. But say it's Y that I am particularly interested in. And so that's what I would like to focus on. And I think in a well-rounded organisation, depending, of course, on the school that you are applying to, that's going to be a positive because a well-rounded organisation is going to have lots of members who are specialising, who are focusing on each of their different areas of priority. Because it shouldn't be that every teacher is an expert in everything, because that's not possible, that's unreasonable. It should be, as a school, these are our expertise, and these are our lead staff for each branch of expertise, so that's who you go to when you need help for that. And I think, for me, that is the best way for somebody to... Um, for somebody to present themselves at an interview. And it's the best way, I think, for a school to position itself. Now, during the pre-interview process, so when you are prepping yourself for your interview, there are lots of things to keep in mind. Okay, First of all, you should keep in mind that your CV, your resume, clearly works. Okay, you wouldn't have got the interview 
if your CV didn't work. So be happy about that. Be confident about that. You have shown through your CV that you've got something that the school is looking for. And so be happy. Celebrate yourself in that way. You've gotten over the biggest hurdle. Getting the interview is the hardest part. Okay. Now, again, I talked at the beginning of the show about how fast everything happened, you know, between applying for jobs on Monday night and then having two interviews in the bag by Thursday lunchtime. Um, but I, I applied, I think, for like six or seven. And I've only so far heard back from two. So, you know, there is not a guarantee that you are going to hear back from every place that you uh, apply to. And so actually getting that interview, that is the biggest hurdle right there. The employer wants to know more about you. You have offered them something that is intriguing. You have offered them something through your CV, through your cover letter, that they think matches what they need and they want to know more. So the interview isn't a place to undersell yourself because then they might think they made a mistake in inviting you to the interview to begin with. It's not a place to oversell yourself either because then you'll find yourself in a position where you are in a job where you can't actually progress because you have missed some steps and they've put you in for something that you're not ready for. They want to know more about who you actually are, who you as a person are. And so go in and tell them. You've already prepared your best selling points because that was the point of the CV and the cover letter. You already know what you think makes you a good teacher, what you think makes you fit that role because you've written it down and you've sent it to them. So do go back through your CV, go back through your cover letter, not because you have to make sure that your story aligns, um, but because you want to remember what you said, because that was the thing that you thought made you sellable. And clearly the school thought the same thing. So go back through, double check what in your past, what in your experiences you've highlighted, and remember that that's going to be what comes through in the interview. Remember that it's a learning experience. You are not going to get every job that you interview for. Even the most experienced teacher is not going to get every job that they interview for. So view every interview, even if you've had lots already and you think you don't need interview experience, still view it as an experience. Interviews change. Okay, even just between now and before COVID, the interview process is different. I'd never done a phone interview. I'd never done an online interview for teaching jobs before. I'd never applied for an online teaching job before. So these things change and the, um, the practice is always good. Remember your transferable skills, particularly if you are an ECT or you are just about to qualify. You might not have a whole host of experience in teaching, but you have other experiences. Transferable skills, in case you're not sure, they are the skills that are learnt or used in one context and can then be applied to another. And they are acquired, obviously, through employment but through voluntary work, 
through your hobbies, through sports that you play, and through your study. So many people downplay the importance of their study when they go for a job interview. They downplay the fact that they um, that they have learned a lot through their book reading. Okay, that's important. If the study wasn't important, we wouldn't have to do it. So think about what study you have done. Think about how those skills then transfer into your uh, into your classroom. So think about your oral communication skills, your teaching. But also, if you have been a team leader in a previous profession and you've led team meetings, that's useful. If you presented at conferences, that's useful. Think about teamwork. Teaching is about teamwork. It's about you and the other teachers, and it's about you and your class. So it's about where you have experience of working with other people. Have you perhaps collaborated internationally or nationally, maybe with people that you've never met before? Have you played a team sport? Okay, all of that, all of those things are transferable and they are useful. And it's better to use those as an example, if you are given a, a for instance, if you are asked a question, than to, to not have anything to say at all. So in terms of transferable skills, you need to think about your ad adaptability and your flexibility. Think about anything administrative or organisational that you've done. Think about your skills in analysis and problem solving. Problem solving is a good one because as teachers, we get problems thrown at us all the time. Show that you can adapt, you can analyze, you can solve. What is your computer literacy? I've spoken on the show before about how we are over the days now of the kids being better with technology than the teachers. Okay, we are back in the position of authority when it comes to technology. So think about how you have used ICT in your life and how you can use those skills to prepare your children to use them for work. You know, Microsoft Office, other office platforms are available, is very different to scrolling TikTok. And we all know which one the kids use more often. Think about knowledge transfer. What knowledge comes from what you've done before that will be transferred into your classroom? Think about languages you speak, even if you are not an MFL teacher. You know, if you are a chemistry teacher who has just come back from teaching in Kuala Lumpur, then you may have picked up language skills that you can use to support your ESOL students because you know what it's like to be in a situation where you don't speak the language and you had to acquire it very quickly in situ. Think about your management skills, financial management, project management, self-management, time management. Where have you those used those? Where have they been useful? Think about times you've been in meetings. Think about times where you have deliberately not contributed to something in a meeting. And why did you not contribute? 
Think about a time perhaps where you used a privilege that you might have in order to amplify a, an underprivileged voice in that meeting. Think about a time maybe that you've chaired a meeting or that you've convened a meeting. Think about your networking skills. How good are you at relating to different people? Because you are going to have 30 young people sitting in your classroom, all with very, very different life experiences. How could you network to bring other people into your, into the, the school, the organization that you are applying to, that you are interviewing for? Think about your numeracy skills. Think about your people skills. Think about your research skills. We are all, as teachers, research professionals. And so we understand what that is like. We bring that into the classroom. Think about any writing skills that you have, because you are going to have to give written feedback. You know, we all know that verbal feedback is best but you are still going to have to provide written feedback in books because that's what inspectors and parents like to see. How good are you at that? What experience do you have of expressing yourself in writing? Okay, again, even if it's not marking an exercise book, it's still expression through writing. It's still important. Make sure, and I think this is the most important thing that I'm going to have said in this whole hour and a half. Make sure that you understand the post that you have applied for, the employer, your motivation, both for looking for this job and for applying for this job, your achievements and your background, your skills, your strengths, your weaknesses, because in order to become a better teacher, you need to work on those weaknesses and your new place of employment should be somewhere that you can do that. And what your own questions are going to be. Make sure that your place of work, the place of work to which you are interviewing, aligns with what you want. And if you don't know what you want, figure it out. There is nothing wrong with taking some time to think, actually, aside from a paycheck, what do I want out of my job? Because let's be honest, we don't go into teaching for the paycheck. It's, it's, we work too many hours for it to be worth the money that we get alone. So what else are you actually looking for? What skills are you looking to acquire? What um, progression do you want to make? Who do you want to help? If your answer to what do you want is, I want to be a teacher, think about why. If it's then, I love my subject and I want to make my students as interested in it as I am, then maybe your motivation is to, I was going to say evangelize, but that's not quite the right word, is it? Um, to, to, to spread the joy of your subject. But you might also want to check that your school is going to support your professional development in terms of your subject knowledge, 
because you want to continue to have that joy. You want to continue to to learn about your subject so that you can then give that enthusiasm to your pupils. If you are interested in helping young people who are struggling with their mental health, then be very clear about that and say, you know, I've got an interest in, in mental health. I know that mental health issues amongst young people are on the rise. I want to do something to help with that. So that's the kind of training that I would like. Is that something that I can do with your organization? If you are interested in, in child protection and safeguarding, then be very clear about that. I would like to do my, um, uh, my, housemaster, housemistress, houseparent training, because I am interested in what it means to keep children safe um, pastorally. Really think about what it is you want, because the other thing that that's going to do is save you a lot of pain in the long term when you accidentally find yourself on the career path that is not suited for you. As teachers, we don't have to be good at everything. So long as the school has a diverse staff body, so long as the school itself is good at everything because it knows which staff to refer people to, you yourself don't. And so if you are academically minded and you want to stay within your subject and maybe you would like to become a head of subject, a head of department, because that's your path, but you find yourself on a safeguarding course, not because you need your safeguarding update, but because the school said, oh, who wants to go off and do this course? Um, and you thought it was best just to do anything you were offered. You might not be happy on that path. You might be lucky. You might have stumbled onto something that you didn't realize you were very interested in, but you, you may not be happy. So be very clear about what it is you want, about what it is you want to achieve. If you are somebody who is thinking, well, actually, my priority is my home life. My priority is making sure that I can pay my mortgage, that um, my family has got food on the table, and I want to be able to go in and teach my class and then go home again. That's also absolutely fine. And just be aware that that's your priority and keep in mind that that's your priority. So your questions that you ask might be about the work-life balance at your school. It might be, do I have to stay in school for my PPA time or can I leave the premises during it? What happens during my free periods? You know, do I have to be here or can I go and do the weekly shop so that I don't have to do that on Saturday when I've got the kids? So being aware of your own priorities will help you to make sure that the, the place you are interviewing, the, the job that you are looking at, works for you. Think very carefully about where you are applying to. Think about the sustainability of the place that you are applying to. Think about whether your job is still going to exist in three years, five years, 10 years. 
Again, we talked at the top of the show about many of the financial difficulties that so many schools find themselves in. So while, of course, you're not going to go and scrutinize the finance of every school that you apply to, it is probably a good idea just to, to look at the school and just to double check that you are happy with its sustainability. I applied once a few years ago um, for a head of classics job at a school. Um, I was kind of, I was on the fence about it. I wasn't sure whether I, I, I wanted to go for it anyway. I applied on the off chance. I then spoke to the person um, in the school that I was teaching in at that time who was in charge of cover, the, the senior leader who was in charge of cover, to say, oh, I'll need cover because I've got an interview for head of Latin at this school. And he kind of said, are you sure that you want to do that? Um, you know, think very carefully about whether that's the right school and the right subject at this point. And I don't know what it was. I, I didn't do any research. Um, I There was just something then that was niggling at me about this job. You know, him saying that combined with kind of being on the fence about it anyway, I in that moment made up my mind and I withdrew my application. Um, two years later, the school cut classics as a subject because it just couldn't afford to fund its classics teacher anymore. It couldn't afford to fund the person who got the job instead of me. And I think about that sometimes, about how lucky I was to have been um, not put off because, in fact, lesson, the senior leader did come to me when I told him that I'd withdraw my interview so I didn't my, my application so I didn't need cover anymore and he said oh I didn't put you off did I he was really worried that he put me off um but I was I was glad that I had that unease about the job and that taught me since then to just double check the the places that I'm applying to um because you know a job is not always guaranteed these days it's not guaranteed for life if your job interview is online or if you're having like a pre-interview before you go into the school, check your equipment. So Thursday was an incredibly rainy, overcast day here um, and the lighting was awful. And, you know, that might not seem like the end of the world, but when you're doing a Zoom interview, particularly for a job that is going to be online, you want to show off that actually you understand these little things and you can make them better. So I grabbed my ring light, I turned that on, I turned on my overhead light, I just made sure that I was visible. If you are going to a school in person, make sure you know where it is. Make sure that if you're relying on your sat-nav, the sat-nav does in fact take you to the school and not to a Tesco Express down the road. Because the last thing that you want is that stress before going into an interview um, that you kind of don't know where you are, you don't know what you're doing, you don't know how to um, how to approach it. I think that's kind of all the advice I have for us today. Um, those are my experiences from this week. I've not yet heard back from any of the people um that i have interviewed with i'm still waiting to to find out what the 
what the results are going to be. I think they're going to be positive. And again, this is not me um, blowing my own trumpet. I don't want to do that. But just from kind of what I was told during the interview, what I was told um, kind of in the follow-up emails afterwards, I'm fairly sure I'm going to get the offers. Uh, I don't know what I will do if I do get them, but that's a problem for future Darren. Um, but what I will do is keep you updated and hopefully you will find this interesting. If you are interviewing over the next few weeks, good luck. Do let me know how it goes. Let me know how you get on. Uh, I hope that you have found some of the tips today very, very useful. And I will see you here for breakfast next Saturday, as always. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, publishing professional development books and resources to support great teaching and learning in schools around the world. Have you checked out their latest releases? Use the code JCTTR2324 for 20% off your order. Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Introducing Eton X from Eton College, a diverse range of quality online courses enabling young people to aspire and excel. Designed for self-study, these web-based courses empower your students with essential leadership, communication and academic skills for success at school and beyond. Our study skills course sharpens their learning abilities, while the AI Fundamentals course equips them with vital digital know-how in a fast-changing world. Other popular courses include verbal communication, critical thinking, writing skills, resilience, creative problem solving and many more. Offer the Eaton X curriculum in your school for free. Visit EatonX.com to find out more. Thank you very much. Have a great weekend and goodbye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.